you're about to enter seventh heaven. If you like this pod, then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel. If you're looking for extra content, you can go to our YouTube page or our social channels, Twitter and Instagram, our handle at seventh heaven pod. Again, like, subscribe, share, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to your celestial one-stop pod for all things Rugby Sevens. You're back in seventh heaven. We are in 2021, and it is the year of the Olympic Games. I feel like I've said that before, but this time it's for real. We're off to Tokyo in the summer, and this pod is everything about Rugby Sevens in the year that all roads lead to the Olympic Games. I'm Burnsy, I've got Mitch, I've got Chip, and we've got one of the biggest stars to ever play the game of sevens as our special guest today. He embodies New Zealand sevens in the week that it should be the Hamilton sevens, but we're going to mark it with this legend. We're also going to be introducing you to a new contributor on the pod, but plenty more of that to come. First off, I've got to say, boys, what a pleasure to have you back in the clouds. It's a pleasure to be here, Bernsey. Seeing you again, looking particularly smart today as well, which we noticed. Put a shirt on specially, so thank you for that. And a slightly, slightly new look as well you've got going on recently. Talk us through it. Yeah, I'll, I'll describe it for the listeners. If anyone's seen The Dark Knight Rises, um, Jim Gordon. Um, yeah, that is what Bernsey's looking at like now. Gary Oldman. So picture, um, what's our kid called from Harry Potter? Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe. No, not Daniel Radcliffe, you mush. Harry's Harry's godfather. No, not Cedric Diggory. That's Mitch's Cedric Diggory. The one who's in Azkaban. Yes, that's you, Bernsey. Sirius Black. Sirius Sirius. Black. I can't believe Mitch got it. Yeah, so that's what, Bernsey, that's what you're looking like at the moment. But it's not a bad thing. You look very dapper. Hair's swished back to cover the bald patch at the back. Clean shaven. Glasses looking great. You look great. I love, I've never gone into a conversation, let alone a podcast, with such a big tangent as that. <laughs> right, let's let's get on to you guys, because you're the people who people tune in to hear about. What have you been up to? I think, what has it been, six, seven weeks since we've been together? So, must have been plenty of stuff going on. So, been at Quinn still, been great, been training, training hard, um, getting stuck in. It's all been changed the last couple of weeks, obviously, with um, Paul Gustard moving on. Um the less said about that, the better. So I don't want to drop myself in any hot water. Um, I really got on with him, top bloke, but um, apparently some some of the uh, people at Quinn's didn't, uh, and he's moved on to Pastures Newt. Um, yeah, just been cracking on with training. Really, obviously had a good, really good Christmas. Rudy's first birthday on the weekend, which was class. And me, uh, me and the wife had a good celebration. She cooked a lovely um, carrot cake, which I had one. Happy or birthday, two Rudy! Yeah, big shout out! Shout out, Rudy! He's Shout out to Big Rudy when he listens to this. Um, no, I've, I've had a good couple of weeks training hard and getting back in it. I can't, I can't wait for him to turn eighteen and for you to sit him down and say, "Here, son, sit down," and just press. You're just going to listen to this and you're just going to press play and just sift through the back catalogue of Seventh Heaven podcasts from the last eighteen years. He's going to love it. Well, do you reckon when he's eighteen, it'll be like 
like my dad sitting me down for a record now or a tape player or something like iphones would be so obsolete yeah he'll be able to just access it in his brain because there's some sort of microchip he won't you won't have to download it or anything you'll just be there Burnsy's, ready to Burnsy's look like he's had the microchip inserted on the top of his head already they've shaved the patch and put it in but <laughs> you could you could you could start playing the episodes to rudy now because they say that kids brains are like a sponge at this age he takes it in subliminally and his first words are one night in heaven one night in heaven i wish i might start doing that to our unborn child while it's in the womb because they can hear in the womb can't they so i might start doing that when's d-day mitch uh start of april we're expecting that's amazing mitch you you must be chuffed do you know what chip it's um i, I am and i'm excited and it's been good and you've been one of the one of the people recently, obviously, I've gone to for some fatherly insight. Um, and you've really given it the the positive side of parenting. I think we get the doom and gloom, but you've been a real positive uh, exponent for the for the happier sides of parenting. So, yeah, it's given me a boost. It's given me it's made me excited for it. And, and it's allowed the anxiety to subside somewhat. It Honestly, Mitch, it's class. Like the, It's the best thing that'll ever happen to you can't wait i really can't wait you're a lover of fatherhood aren't you chip like really really embrace it we've we've been for a socially distance walk with rudy and you absolutely thrive on it yeah it's class i mean i get there's negatives of it and like things that don't go well and get, like he doesn't sleep and doesn't eat like they don't eat that well but you just gotta take the take the positives like it's so cool you've got like a mini version of yourself knocking around like this like putty to mold he's gonna be like i'm hoping he's gonna be class i was like googling today how early can i give him a golf club because i feel like that's the route he's gonna go but then it's like do you push Smart. him on a sport like i don't know yeah if you're gonna push him on a sport push him on golf mate make a load of pack make an absolute packet when he's older that's it. I, can, I would say i'd carry the bag but i think my back will be packed in by then well, I love how this is the one-stop shop for Rugby Sevens and we've finally, we so far covered off Harry Potter and parenting. Where yep. next? Yeah, you're, you're right, Mitch. Let's get back to Ruggers. Um, just before we depart the A316 and Harlequins, um, obviously really sad to see Guzzy go. I had a nice interaction with him at Northampton Saints. and But I really want to know, what is Jer Jerry Flannery like? I loved him as a player. But, I mean, to look into that man's eyes, oh, my goodness, it's like snogging an icicle. Yeah, he's a really good bloke. He's um, he's intense. He's, like, really hot on his detail with training um, and, like, all things defence and everything he's covering off at the moment. Um, he's a good bloke. He was trying to describe today about um, spacings in defence, and he obviously he's Irish, and this place in Ireland he's from, they say three, like tree. He's like, three metres apart. Tree, tree, tree. And I was like, thank God I had the face mask on because I had a Cheshire cat's grin across my face. I was like, don't look up. Luckily, we spoke social distance, so I can't look at anyone. Yeah, Jerry sounds like a bloody forest, that lad. <laughs> Jerry, you plant, you planting, Jerry, or what? But we got oaks. <laughs> so that's interesting. Sycamores. Are you guys masked up more often these days because obviously COVID's rife. Are they super strict on it? Yeah, if there's um, the Graham, the kind of manager like guy, walks around, he's like opening doors in. Like we have to eat with the doors open and the windows open. All the chairs like laid out miles away from each other. Um, he's constantly coming in and like bollocking people, so you just don't want to get bollocked. Um, so yeah, masks on when you're not eating. Masks on in every building. 
socially distanced for majority of well, all meetings now. There's loads more regs, and we're getting tested twice a week now. So we tested Does yesterday. Does it feel like normal though now? All these regs and all these changes, because obviously, like you know, we knew what it used to be like being in a team environment. But does, is it like is it settling as this is just the way it is now? Yeah, like you kind of get used to it. Like wearing the mask, it's, you don't really think about it anymore. Um, and yeah, it's it's fine. Like it, it is what it is. Like you just we know we're the lucky ones to be able to train and meet up and like see our mates and get out of the house and like play rugby. So kind of just embrace that side of it more than the this isn't normal. Like, well, why are we wearing a mask? Why are we sitting in the cold? Why are we miles away from each other in, in meetings? Yeah. I'll tell you what, Mitch, Chippy tells a tall tale about the hardship of eating lunch with a drafty door behind his back. But when I was out with him the other day, you got a fish and chip van to come to the stadium, didn't oh. you? They, honestly, it's outstanding. That every, like every other week they do like a treat. So like we've had fish and chips, we've had um, this... Um, I think it's like a Jamaican like company who come and they've like done jerk chicken, rice and peas. Um, what else have we had? We've had burritos. There was a burrito gate Ooh. scandal. Um, oh yeah, some Juicy. some people took some people. Uh, they were actually quite dry, but the, the rice sucked up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, someone. Well, names will not be uttered on this pod but uh, someone took more than one burrito which led to a a barrage of message it wasn't me they were massive burritos this burrito is nice but it is filling <laughs> um and um how many times someone, did you say that when the burrito van turned up <laughs> someone said someone said to me i oh, was that burrito nice and i said yeah but it's filling and i started like <laughs> laughing and he just looked at me and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, someone and Joe Marler went mad on the group, like sent a load of voice voice notes, like c- calling people out, calling people very nasty words, calling the members of staff that ordered him um, names about not having enough. Oh, it's good. So it said it's so did someone miss out on a burrito because someone double dipped? Someone lads came down and there wasn't enough. Unforgivable. Do you reckon it was Marler that double dipped? Is that why he went off? So just cover his own tracks. No, he's a man of standards. He was asking about you today, Mitch. And I said, um, he said, because he was, that was it. I was getting into him today because he just had leggings on for training because we were inside because obviously the pictures have snowed. He had leggings at the top. And I said, you're terrible. I said, you look like our old captain from Sevens. He said, Who, what's his name? I said, oh, Tom Mitchell. He said, oh yeah, I, I know him. I said, he, said, I said, he said, does he remind you of me? I said, well, yeah, in the way like, the way you're both wearing leggings, apart from that, not much. And he, I said, he's very thoughtful. He thinks about everything he says. He said, oh, he's complete opposite of me that I just utter whatever comes to my mouth. <laughs> is he a good crack? It, obviously, like a public persona, he seems like a right good laugh. Is that what he's like behind the scenes as well? Yeah, he's, he's, um, he's on his own planet, but he's, he's a good lad. Like, he, he, you can tell he means well and he wants the club to do well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. Um, and he makes good coffees as well. Yeah, he brings his own coffee machine in, he said. Yeah, he brought a big big coffee machine in for the lads, like a really nice one. Interesting that he's not in the he's not taking part in the England camps, is he? Um for like stay with his family, basically spend time with his family. Which makes a lot of sense to me. It's nice when you're that good though, isn't it? You can uh, you can dictate your terms. He's he's already retired from Insasha rugby and then came out for the World Cup. I mean you gotta back yourself. For... Shall I tell you what I've been doing, Bernsey? 
yeah, I do want to hear. I, I do want to hear what you've been doing. Tell me, Mitch. Uh, all, all, all I'm uh, all I'm looking to do is cross pollinate some pod action. Um, we've uh, Bernsey, you've been you've been involved as well. A uh, new project with Days Brewing. Probably people who follow me on the gram probably see me posting about it. Pretty exciting, actually, and I never thought I'd say that. But to be excited about an alcohol-free beer is a strange thing. But what's more exciting is that I'm hosting the podcast for them, which has been fun. And we had got the first episode out, which was good. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do it had it not been for Seventh Heaven. So I'm very grateful for everything we've done together, lads. Thank you for that. What's the pod call? Give it the ultimate plug. How can you find it? Well, we're not plugging on here, are we? Oh, we can we give him a plug? We'll toss him a plug. So it's the the doing effect. It's the name of the podcast. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, all the rest of them, wherever you get your podcast from. And it's a good first guest. It's Olivia Strong who started the Run for Heroes campaign, the Run Five, Donate Five, Nominate Five. It's a pretty inspiring story. She's got an MBE now as well. Incredible. She's got an MBE, yeah. It was pretty humbling talking to her, actually. She's really cool. And that's the idea. We'll just get cool guests on and, and talk about, you know, how to make the most of our time here. Speaking of absolutely epic women, I promised you a new character on the pod. And this is one that's going to be a regularly occurring one. For those early adopters of the pod, you'll remember when we tried to take on women's rugby and do a bit of analysis of the World Series 7s, but we really did not do its service. And we're looking to change all that this year in 2021. So introducing the pod's newest member, it is England 7's Abby Burton. Right, Bert, I know you've been a long-time listener and we are delighted to welcome you, not just as a guest, but as a contributor to 7th Heaven so that you can shine a bit of a light on the women's game. It's something that we try to tackle at the start uh, when we created 7th Heaven. But to be honest, we just felt we didn't have the expertise and we were just paying it lip service. So it's not that we haven't wanted to show women's rugby the love. It's just we wanted to show it the love the right way. And here you are to be our expert. So it's awesome to have you in the clouds. Thank you for having me, guys. It's something that I've wanted to be on the pod, hopefully for ages. But now I'm actually as one of your little co-hosty poddy person now. So, yeah, I'm buzzing. (laughs) Love it, but it's the first thing you'll you have to learn um, in this role that Chippy and I have had to put up with since the, its conception is that Burnsy likes to feel like he's the boss. So as long as you just keep his tires pumped up, just let him do what he needs to do, you'll be all right. <laughs> Don't mention the bald spot. Right, Bert. So just to give people a bit of an update, uh, you've got eleven series tournaments under your belt for England sevens but at the moment you're applying your trade for Wasps ladies in the Premier 15s but you're injured at the moment because you picked up an ankle niggle sorry niggles understating it at England training England 15s proper didn't you yeah I did um I was one of the I think it was the third camp that I'd been in and like lucky enough to be invited in like we had got told at the at the start there was going to be opportunities within 15s and like when I went in, it was such a great experience. But yeah, I picked up a, a bit of a niggle, which led to a 
ankle operation and a metal rod in my foot and whatever. But now currently on the road to recovery. So well on the way now back to hopefully playing by the end of Feb, hopefully. So that's something quite pertinent you've brought up there about being afforded the opportunity to play England 15s. Because in the news recently, it's now been confirmed that England women's rugby players are allowed to play in the World Cup, which is later this year, and try and make the Olympic seven squad. Which Was it not the case or there was a big question mark surrounding it? What's the deal? Yeah, I think for the past however many years, they've kept sevens and fifteens quite separate. Um, but because like in the men's game, they're so far along now that sevens and fifteens like, is quite different and you haven't really... You have some players that can move across, but actually a lot of the um, the sevens team, the England seven team, they can, we can move across and do both um, just because of the, the disparity as much at, um, at the current moment in time. But it's just meant that when we came back into 15s, it meant that some of us would have opportunities within the England 15 setup. And before we never really thought that would, would have been an opportunity. But in in retrospect, there's been about five or six or seven of us who've been invited into camp and that you've already seen with um, three of the girls, they've played in um, some of the tests that have just gone, um, some of the games. So hopefully moving to Six Nations when that re- that's rescheduled, we'll see some of the girls moving again and then having an opportunity to do an Olympics and World Cup in the same year is insane. Like imagine going to the Olympics and go, yeah, I'm off to New Zealand now, like that would be insane. So I think that there's definitely going to be a few girls who do it, but it just depends who does it. Will be that would be the big question. Be pretty epic for whoever manages to bag both of those. Um, but you said about the girls doing the uh, who are doing the 15 stuff. Obviously, we've been seeing in the prem. It looks to me like everyone has, who's done it has, has done really well, and has to be honest, taken it by storm a little bit. I mean. When all you, you ladies were going over to do it, were you thinking, we're going to absolutely boss this? I'm sure you're a humble bunch, but were you sort of quietly confident that you were going to do really well and, and excel? And then especially some of the girls who have gone on to, as you say, play, uh, get a couple of caps for England recently. Yeah, I think that, I think, I don't know, it's a hard one because like when when we all went to Wasps, there was, there was five of us who went to Wasps. I think a lot of us were like, are we even going to be still good at this? Like, it's completely different. Like, I I went back into the forwards and I was like, I don't think I've done this many contacts in about two years. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I letting myself in for here? Um, but then, like, everyone just took to it. Like, I think that, as you said, all of us who've gone back in, like, you you see it, like, Meg's at the top of the table for the kick-in. Helena's absolutely ripping it up in at, at fly half at the moment. And then we've got Al... And Al, Sid, Abby, who were all being invited into camp. Um, and I think that it's, I think it's testament as well to like what we do within the sevens, like the hardworking environment and the culture that we've got in there. Like as soon as we were put, put into the 15s, we thought, oh, this is a pretty rubbish situation, but we're going to make the most of it. And like, that's just what happened. And that's why I think that everyone was able to excel when they went in. Can you clarify exactly what the situation is with the England women's sevens and what's going to be, taking place for Great Britain sevens? Um, we don't we don't really know what the what will be happening with us with our 15s clubs at the moment. I think that as soon as we find out about what is happening 
when all the sevens GB stuff is hopefully confirmed, then we can move forward with um, what will happen with that. Yeah, we'll hopefully find that all out soon and it will all be clear as day. But, you know, in this world, nothing's clear as day at the moment, is it? So, yeah. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. So it sounds like everyone's been super welcoming to the sevens girls coming into the 15s uh, arena, which... It's a bit different because I don't know if you've heard, but Joe Marler keeps on stealing Chip's lunch money at Quinn's and uh, <laughs> hanging him upside down by his ankle. So it's nice that the women have been accepting of the sevens girls coming back into the mixer. He would if he could catch me. If he could catch me, he would. <laughs> so look, it's meant to be the New Zealand sevens. It's meant to be the Hamilton sevens, which is where you were last year with the girls around about this time. So we're talking all things New Zealand. Obviously, you've got DJ Forbes on the pod. What was it like? out there at the tournament last year? Yeah, it was unreal. Like, the I've been to Hamilton, so this was the second time that I'd been to Hamilton. So I'd been the year before on the Fast um, the fast 4 series before it was a World Series for the women. But it was a whole different ball game where we, when we went at this time last year because we had all the all the teams there. Um, and it was just, it's just an, another opportunity to play, especially in New Zealand as well. Like, their fans over there, like, rugby's literally ingrained into their since they're brought up so like being able to go there and being able to be surrounded by like what is like i don't don't know how to describe it but like people who are just obsessed with rugby like it's 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 like a religion some might say abby yeah yeah like a religion chip like a religion um (laughs) it does always come across how much how much more uh this is just the perception but it always comes across how much and more respect there is for female rugby players out of New Zealand. I don't know if that's the way they experience it, but that's the perception anyway, compared to maybe over here. Yeah, no, I think that's that's bang on. Like the like the aura around like their fans and stuff around there. Like I remember us watching um, when we watched the final and watched um, New Zealand play against Canada. You could see as soon as they won. And then the men played afterwards, they went off into the stands and there were just people like coming up to them, trying to like take photos with them and everything. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen over here, but like that they get to experience that with their, their home tournament. Like the fans just absolutely like live it up. They, they love it. So like to watch that, it's like, it's just insane. Cause they get to inspire like little, little young girls coming through and they get to watch it firsthand and get to see and get to meet them as well. And like it, it's insane, like what the culture's like over there for rugby. Um, seeing as we are talking about the Black Ferns, and they of course won it. Do you know that I think they only lost two games on this uh, across the whole of the series last year. They are an unbelievable team, and we've waxed lyrical about them. I'm a massive Stacey Wacker fan. You like a bit of Ruby Tui, don't you, Mitch? And uh, t- or oh, is it Tyler Nathan Wong is your favourite player? I can't remember, but I don't have any. Fa- I don't have any favourites, Burnsy. It's like it's like the uh, Seventh Heaven Pod co-hosts. I don't have any favourites. I got love yeah, for yeah, everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what is it? That, what is it that makes them so good? You obviously had an absolutely epic extra time match against them in Cape Town just over a year ago, so you know them pretty well. I don't. I don't mean to bring up heartbreak so early. <laughs> Literally. Um... They're, I don't I don't know what makes them so good. Like it's it's one of those things that you like sit and try and work out. But I just think that they've got a pool of the best players in the world who have grown up playing rugby literally from the 
from literally they've come out of the womb and they've come out with a rugby ball and gone, right, we're going to play rugby. And um, like, I think it's just ingrained in them since they're younger. And I think that they've, they've got something like insanely right about their culture as well. Like the way that they, they speak to each other, the way that they praise each other, the way that they like, you also see them have those tough conversations with each other. Like, cause we're all together in, in the changing rooms and where people are eating and stuff, you can see them having those conversations and stuff. And we all know that some of those conversations aren't the easiest conversations to have, but the way that they bounce back after every game and nearly losing like in that extra time match in Cape town. And then they bounce back after that. And then they come to the finals and have those close games with Canada. I just, they've got something just really right about their culture and like their playing strategy. I think that they do everything just down to a T and they've got, they've got something pretty special with their team. So, yeah. Do you know what I reckon is a big factor? This is a completely unfounded theory, but I I feel that there is a lot more touch rugby played over there, or there's a lot more mixed touch rugby because uh, I'm probably one of the only I'm probably the only one in this conversation who will have played uh, mixed touch rugby in in London, like the O2 Touch, but it's littered with Kiwis and Australian girls who are absolutely awesome. Like they're rapid, they've got really good footwork, their passing range is really good. And I feel that it's just something that they do the whole time over in Australia and New Zealand, whereas it's probably less commonplace over here. Yeah, I think you bang on. Like some some of the skills that they have, like their footwork, like Kelly Brazier, every single tap penalty, I think she steps me every single time and they go on to score every single time. And I'm stood there like every single time. And we were literally like, don't tell what? her that. She listens. She she'll listen. She, she would. Knows. She probably listens to the pod. She, she looks at me dead <laughs> in the eye and goes, "I'm going to step you, Abby Burton, every single time." And we came to the conclusion that we're just going to have to move me. Literally, when we go to when they go to tap penalty, we move Bertie away from her. Literally, yeah. like she, she's not got the best step in that team, though, has she? Yeah. Well, it's one of the best, and then Broughton. Broughton's a Broughton's whole, ridiculous. Whole another kettle of fish. Her, Sabrazia, Broughton, Wacker. Um, and then like Blyde, like they're just, that team is just littered with like speed, step and just like, I don't, I don't even know. Like when you, but it's just when you, when you play against them, it's like, there's just threats everywhere. And like, and the thing is that they're so confident within like themselves. So it's, it's like borderline cocky, but like confidence and like, they know that they, they can produce when they come on the pitch with all of their like different super strengths as we would call them. Um, but like, I would agree with the touch, the touch um, point because all of them, like I think that like Wong came from touch um, and there's a, and then a lot of the Aussie girls as well, like a lot of them came from touch rugby as well. And you can just see their skill level. is so much different. Whereas if I tried to play touch, like, no, not my game contact yet, yeah, but Touch, not the one for me. <laughs> it's so right, it's Wong. Um, oh, oh, gosh, sorry. Um, I was going to say, Stacey Wacker, her, her step is literally a carbon copy of her brother's. Like, exactly the same. And I got stepped by her many a time as well, so it's, there's nothing nothing to be, no, no shame to be in that. <laughs> i got no shame about it, literally. I take it on the chin now. I go, yeah, all right, that's a good one. Off we go, next job. <laughs> 
We're going to have to wrap it up there, Berts, for your uh, little interjection to shine a light on the stepping culture of the Kiwi Sevens girls and also Hamilton. But what next for you? What next for the Women's Premiership over here in England? It's been on pause for COVID, but it's on the comeback trail, yeah? Yeah, it's on the comeback trail. First game, the I think four teams are playing this weekend, but Wasps will be playing again next weekend, hopefully. They've just brought in COVID testing this week. Um, so we all have the joys of that today. Um, so hopefully now it will make the league a lot safer and a lot easier for us to play. And we won't have to keep postponing games like what we had been doing before we got tested. So, Right. Love to see you, Berts. Till next week. Till next week. Right, lads. I want to ask you about GB7s. Because 2021 is our year. I professed it at the top of the pod. But I feel that it's going to be a similar answer that the situation's clear as mud at the moment. I mean, have we got anything? Do we know how big squads are going to be? When they're going to be announced? What does the pre-Olympic tournament schedule look like? Any scraps for our listeners who love their Olympic sevens? You're, you're scrabbling around on behalf of the listeners, Bernsey. And I, and I like that about you. You're a scavenger. Uh, much like DJ Forbes. Um, I Most of the answers to the, those things are TBC. But I think we're probably looking at, I mean, any decent size seven squad needs to be around 20 players around that mark because that gives you the option of having a decent size, uh, a decent numbers in training so you can do seven or seven. So that's the start. Um, details and other stuff, we don't really know. Uh, I think the, the the problem is at the moment we're trying to set up a new program is there's a constant change in picture around COVID and stuff so that's playing into it but obviously there are a couple of tournaments in the horizon that we're probably looking at targeting or, or need to be targeting let's be honest like for a, for a GB program needs to be playing some some rugby whatever squad it is uh, the, I believe there's the Madrid Sevens at the end of February I haven't heard much noise about that other than from Mike Friday who's been talking about preparing his team for it. Uh, don't know if that's still happening, Burnsy. I saw that, that? Um, I saw South Africa have selected a squad for it, haven't they? Um, it was a mixed squad, so it wasn't like... I didn't know quite a, a few squad? names. They No, they've announced a squad to, that's travelling to Madrid Sevens. Oh, nice. Um, um, a couple of like familiar faces in there, but a couple of names I didn't know as well. So, yeah, I don't know what the future holds for them. A lot of their boys have been playing... Um, playing in the South African leagues over there. So, yeah, exciting. Good to see that someone's getting together. Just for the listeners and their diaries, uh, the Madrid Sevens that we're talking about is proposed to be the twenty, the two weekends in a row, the 20th and 21st of February and the 27th and 28th of February. Now, while Mike Friday, head coach of the USA, has been very vocal, South Africa have named a squad, I must say that general information about the tournaments itself is a little bit sparse at the moment. I think the next we can one... We put ourselves forward and be the, the, the media outlet for that tournament. Maybe that's what they're lacking. And we could live stream the whole thing on our Instagram. I thought you were going to say... I thought you were going to say we should put ourselves forward as a team. <laughs> the seventh heaven pod seven. Burnsy, kit man. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would, be, that would be nice if we could all pull a jersey on together one day, wouldn't it, lads? It'd be nice to pull any sort of merch on Burnsy. I don't mind bring that up again. So just uh, coming back to that South African team, Chip, do you think that that could be one of the things to come out of this COVID era that 
you might see some unfamiliar names on team sheets going out to tournaments and to Olympics because there's been a natural regeneration during this 12-month period where there's been no rugby. There's been some new discoveries. People have dug out some diamonds from the rough. Yeah, potentially. Obviously, with different opportunities for different players, like some lads coming into 15, some lads being out of the game for a bit with injuries um, and everyone kind of spreading their wings and seeing seeing what the future holds. There's definitely going to be some shocks and surprises in the teams. And I think DJ touched on it quite nicely in the podcast, just about... Um, seeing the opposition, which is something I hadn't hadn't kind of thought of that much because I kind of thought you'd kind of think selfishly about the team and how best you're getting prepared for these tournaments. So like if GB were to play and I was lucky enough to be named in the squad, like GB preparing, not so much looking at New Zealand, getting footage of New Zealand, footage of, of Fiji, footage of Australia. Like it's that's like another another aspect to it that's, that's interesting. So yeah, um, different teams, different players. Yeah, be interesting. I just want to talk about, we, we've obviously had this discussion in our own private conversations and we mentioned it on the pod before, one of the great strengths that Chippy brings to this trio is the ability to bag guests. Bag some big guests in the past, don't you, Chip? Some of the, some of the biggest. Brian Abana, big guest. Ben Ryan, big guest. A few big names out there. Perry Baker, oh, one of the greatest ever sevens players of our time. Will Muir, minus and points. but the way you bag this one i was thinking i was trying to think of a metaphor an analogy and i know we said you know you cast the net and you get the you get the bite and you reel it in but this was a bit more like you know those nutters that just put their hands in the water and then they get a massive fish to bite on their fist and then they just pull it out that was what this one was like you put your big old arm in the water into the old pacific ocean and out came a big old fish Unbelievable work, mate. Got to say, well I, done. I was thinking more Tom Hanks toward the ends of Castaway where he chucks a spear from miles away and you just see it zoom in and go <laughs> straight through the fish. But yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the hand fish analogy. Well, the boys have teased you enough with their fish analogy, so I guess I'd better introduce who we got on the pod today. And really, as Rugby Sevens royalty goes, it doesn't get much bigger than this. This guy... Uh, in 2008, he was named the IRB World Sevens Player of the Year. He's won the World Series six times, 89 World Series tournaments under his belt, 153 tries. He's won the World Cup. He's won the Commonwealth Gold, all as captain. You don't get bigger than this, ladies and gentlemen. It's DJ Forbes. One night in heaven, one night in heaven. DJ Forbes, you're in seventh heaven, mate. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's probably been a long time coming, Deej, because arguably, well, maybe not even arguably, but pro- certainly in New Zealand, you are Mr. Sevens, um, have been for so many years, and like, on the World Series for, well, Burnsy's got the stats, but it's a lot, a lot of years, right? Um, so it's awesome to have you on, mate. True legend of the game. How often, how often do you still wear that badge? I know that you've moved on now and you're doing new things, but um people still want to talk to you about sevens and pick your brains about all your cool experiences yeah um i still obviously have a a little bit to do with um the old fan walking on the street that uh, remembers my old head and beard but um no nah, i think that title um uh, was going pretty quick obviously um timmy's doing um taking that taking the reins <laughs> the, the most kept uh 
Yeah, what did you say to him about that, by the way? Did you give him a bit of, bit of shit for taking your record or what? Oh, no, no. I mean, I gave him a bit of a pat on the back and, uh, you know, said that he's officially the old guy now on the team. Uh, <laughs> you, you're just happy, happy, that, happy that he's going to overtake Rodders? Well, yeah, that would, <laughs> yeah. would have been pretty, uh, pretty stoked when he overtook me as well. So, um, yeah, I think between the two, they can they can fight up for that title. But I think Tidy, uh, Timmy's still got a, a few more, uh, a few more games in him, so um, he'll go well. I think to get pretty close to the ton. Yeah, for sure. Talking of your longevity in the game, mate. Um, we we were just discussing, like looking over your career and stuff. You went to when did you finish playing? Thirty. 34, 35 or something? Yeah, 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 34, I think. And, you know, Chippy and I both uh, both into our 30s now, pushing on, pushing on. <laughs> still spring chickens. Bernsey keeps trying to retire us from the game, but we're still pushing on. <laughs> yeah. we, we were just like, we're curious as to what those kind of later years were like for you. I mean, and to stay in, in any sport, but particularly rugby and sevens for that long, um, and especially as you had the Olympics in that kind of tail end of your career, what was it like? Did you feel like you were still pushing on? Like, did you manage your body okay? Like, just what was that like being in those kind of latter stages? Yeah, I think, to be fair, I mean, as bad as it sounds, I was probably pretty fortunate to be under Titch's regime for a while. So um, I think if you know, you put it down to some basics, you know, probably a lot of the boys, especially the ones that were there at the beginning, you know, the longevity was probably down to the way uh, Titch put us through or tested our bodies, you know. So then I guess when it did come to, I guess, the back end of my my career um, and, you know, I guess a lot of the innovation around, you know, training uh, smarter and not harder and things like that, you know, um, probably I benefited a little bit because the body was probably used to, you know, doing a lot of things back to back, similar to you guys in those early days where, you know, it was just a war of attrition, really, just to see who could, uh, who could handle it the longest and, you know, the 10 minute finals and things like that. So I think when the, yeah, when, you know, different sort of training programs came in and, you know, there was a lot of sort of um, self-management and things like that, that was probably to my benefit that I was able to hang around and, and, and keep playing. Obviously, we've touched on you playing th- throughout Titch's era. Um, what was like the change in like things at, from the start to finish with with Titch? So obviously, he's talking about changing in the way you train. Um, was there like a change in culture, or as as he got a bit more experience, was there like a change in anything going like going on around the squad? And obviously, because you had that conveyor belt of sevens in New Zealand has been really healthy, and you've you've obviously played with some mega players throughout the years. Yeah, I mean, culture's always been a massive part of our team and like your team and a lot of the, in that kind of environment of the sevens where you're traveling, there's just 12 of you, you know, sort of in and out of, you know, different countries and away from family and things like that. So culture played a massive part. Um, and I think as sort of, as time evolved and evolution and everything else, I think just, you know, we, we were probably getting away with being, you know, one of the fittest teams, you know, in those early days. Um, and then once I guess, you know, the world started catching up was around, you know, trying to, innovate and, and be a bit more creative so I think Titch sort of opened um, you know his arms to you know resource coaches and everything else whereas in those early days you know he was <laughs> he was the coach the SNC coach the physio <laughs> everything he, he, he called everything but um, you know over time I think just the way that the game was evolving we needed to you know change the way we were thinking and, and, and bring in different yeah different resource coaches to help in different areas so um, yeah it was a definitely from what it was when I first started to, to where it is now um, you know, the, the game has definitely changed and, and coaching methods and philosophies and everything else has changed as well. 
with with culture being such a big part of of the team like it is anywhere but i think you know particularly strongly through the new zealand sevens team over the years um and this is where i get my notepad out and start making some notes as the leader of that team for so long um how did you approach that what were your strengths as a leader, um, particularly bearing in mind, you had a lot of guys used to come in and out, right? You used to have a lot of young guys come in, blood them for half a season, a season. How did you manage that? And, and what were kind of your strengths of just holding that team together to be so successful over however many years you guys won the World Series? Yeah, oh yeah, well, it was tough. You know, I think it was good having some some young leaders. You know, uh, I guess when we first started that team, or, you know, when I look at it, you know, starting from back in 06, um, we were a bunch of new kids on the block, really. So we kind of had, you know, um, an opportunity to kind of start our own little thing. Um, and probably the beauty of sevens, and you guys will know, it's, uh, there's no, uh, well, as far as we were concerned, there's no hierarchy. I, I guess the closest you could get is we sit on the bus. But outside of that, you know, we really had to gel, um, you know, as soon as we could. You know, like like you mentioned, um, we'd have some guys that have come from club rugby and all of a sudden they're playing on the international stage. Um, so, you know, the, the quicker we could be, you know, inclusive and making sure that they didn't feel like they had to work their way up the pecking order because, you know, within a couple of weeks, they were, you know, part of the starting seven on probably one of the biggest stages that they'll ever play on. So it was just really being inclusive and making sure that, you know, everyone felt welcomed, um, you know, as long as everyone was doing all the, you know, the hard graft on the field, you know, we were pretty confident that they could go out and do it. Um, you know, in competition. So, um, yeah, I think for us, it was just really trying to make sure that, you know, when these guys came in, you know, that they were, you know, welcome, um, that they felt like, you know, they could go out and express themselves um, rather than, I guess, you know, we sort of get that 15s mentality. There is a little bit of a, you got to do your time, you know, before you sort of <laughs> get to question the, the old fellas and things like that. But now, you know, I think the way it is now, everyone has a, has a, has a seat at the table. You must have cracked the whip though, Deej, before. I mean, it was, I don't know, Chippy, how you felt. We can admit this to Deej now, like quite an intimidating guy to play against, right? Um, so I imagine you were probably, you must have been a bit intimidated for some of the young guys as well. But did you ever have to kind of crack the whip or were you, was it always kind of up to, you know, the guys just had that respect? Oh, yeah. Well, I hope to think that I didn't ever have to, yeah, um, crack the whip. Um, obviously, we had to make a few big calls along the way with, you know, some, some situations, some circumstances and things like that. Um, I think, you know, I sort of have a couple uh, generals along the way that were, you know, good cop, bad cop, they needed to be. But I think it's, you know, and you guys, I'm sure you agree, it's, it's so hard, like, you know, if you come down on a player, you know, pretty hard, um, you know, in that environment, it's quite hard to sort of, to bounce back from, you know, uh, especially when it's a week to week thing or, you know, you're, you got training on Thursday, then you got to go out and, and play that, you know, bloody first game, you know, on Friday in Hong Kong or something. So it's just, you know, there's a fine line and, um, you know, in training, you know, I would happily sort of, you know, try and, you know, put things in place. But um, I don't think I ever really uh, <laughs> let loose on anyone. Um, there was probably a few, few tears, you know, near the back of my career where I was trying to plead with the team to bloody, you know, we needed to, you know, sort things out and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think along the way, definitely training, you know, I'll try and be as stern as I could. But, you know, I was kind of one of those guys that I would hope that the boys would just respect and, you know, uh, see the passion that I had for the team and try and emulate that themselves. 
I had a theory that the longer your beard was, the more scary you we were trying to be. So when you had a sh- when it was shaved, I was like, oh god, somebody's somebody's uh, New Zealander flying here, DJ's flying. No one needs to be afraid of DJ. No beard, yeah. and then the beard <laughs> the beard comes back. Going good yeah, guns there, at the moment, there, DJ. There was a little bit of a, when we when we started that kind of uh, tradition. Uh, I wouldn't call it a superstition, um, but when we started that tradition, it was kind of like you know. Uh, Day one was was business day, so to speak. So that was, you know, I mean, sorry, you know, in, in order to get into the, you know, business day, which was day two, uh, we needed to do all the hard or the dirty stuff on, on on day one. So yeah, growing the beard was kind of like let's get our hands dirty, things like that. And then when we clean, when we were clean shaven, that was for us business day. But uh, obviously for me, I probably looked a little bit more younger, had a little bit of a baby face when I got rid of the beard. So, uh, but that was the whole theory behind that was yeah, day two, uh, day one, we get in there get our hands dirty, get our beards and growth and whatever. And then uh, day two is, is business day. That's the closest we got to wearing a suit. So we just clean shaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, Deej, when you were like in those rucks stealing the ball off me or blasting me off a ruck, exactly what I was thinking was, yeah, he looks really baby face today. He looks really baby face. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like a good opportunity for me to dive in when Chip was mentioning about some of the, he mentioned the conveyor belt of players that you had coming in. And You've had some guys who've dipped into the Sevens outfit and then gone on to be legendary All Blacks um, like so frequently, which, some, which isn't something that happens over here in England. And I wanted to know how that dynamic works. Like, would you be sent players and be told, look, this guy's the next big thing? Can you get him used to being in an Intash environment? Can you add a little bit to his game and then send him back? Or were you just getting raw players and they'd have a run with you guys, and then you'd turn around and say, look, there's something a bit more about this guy. He could he could uh, go well in 15s. Oh, I, th- I think it was a little bit of everything. Um, I know in those early days, um, a lot of those coaches probably looked at Titch to uh, fine-tune some um, of those athletes that were, yeah, maybe earmarked or had been shoulder-tapped, you know, to, to bigger things. So they'll come into, you know, the environment and um, definitely, you know, in terms of fitness levels and things like that, would get them up to speed. And I think over time, though, um, you know, it kind of turned into a little bit of a platform. So players saw it as an opportunity to get on the international stage pretty quick. Um, and then I guess, you know, that whole skill set around, you know, playing sevens, you're kind of, well, in, in my personal opinion, like the ultimate footy player with, you know, the skills you have to be able to do in order to be good at sevens, you know, across the board from, um, yeah, cleaning rucks, you know, finishing tries, playmaking, you've got to catch a ball in the air, all that kind of stuff, you know, whereas in 15s, you kind of like, you have your role and, and that's kind of it. Um, and then over time, you know, now I think there's a great kind of relationship between, um, you know, the current coach, Clark Laylor and, and New Zealand rugby and just trying to find ways to, um, yeah, for those young players coming through to give them opportunities to, you know, um, grow some skill sets but then also you know along the way there'll be guys that are looking to play 15s because the longevity in 15s and the lucrative uh, you know money opportunities overseas you know isn't 15 so um, yeah there's, I think there was a you know a lot of facets to it all but um, I think it was just for me it was just awesome to see some of these guys here that you play with you know um, on the sevens field and they go on and there'll be awesome all blacks or guys that you kind of you know help along the way and then they go on and, and do something else overseas so yeah, it's a pretty cool um, environment to be a part of. Who were the Who were the guys who impressed you most? Oh, I mean, the Savia brothers, you know, probably jumped to the top of the table because I remember Julian. 
when he was just a baby, he was a big boy on the wing. I heard the boys would have played against him, um, you know, and he was always one that was battling for fitness and everything else. And he kind of really kicked on and, and, and become one of the, you know, besides kind of Lomu, one of the, you know, the show-stopping wingers for the All Blacks team. And then obviously, you know, didn't get an opportunity a few years later to play with his brother, who was, um, you know, uh, a, a genuine forward, but played like a back. And, you know, to see what he does now, Adi Savier on the, on the 15th field is awesome. But then you get, I guess, special cases, guys like Victor Vito, they're probably everyone's sort of forgotten about, but he was a freak on the 7th field. Um, you know, he played forwards for us. And then I remember one season he was on the wing. So, you know, good luck to a lot of the players that had to tackle him on the wing. So, I mean, no, yeah, it's, I think, no, it's not so much. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, North would have gone up against some of, probably some of the best wingers in sevens, you know, as well as, and 15s, you know, some of these guys that, you know, pushed on to the All Blacks team. Um, but yeah, yeah, oh, I can't remember some of the battles, Frank Halai. I mean, I, I'm, I ain't talking about wingers, I was talking about noughts, but I mean, um, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's been one of those, uh, one of those sports that you've seen some freaks of nature out there, eh? Talking about the current setup and guys coming in and flourishing, we've recently seen the Red Bull uh, Ignite Sevens over there, which looks like a really cool thing. And I saw they recently announced the new contracts for the guys who uh, have been picked up into the pro setup. Um, how's all that unfolded? How's it been received over there? Um, what's been your view on the whole thing? Yeah, those um, the, the early stages was really cool. So it was almost like a um, an online search for you know, the, the next kind of um, superstar in seven. So that was, you know, really cool. And they, they ran it, I guess. The next like, DJ Forbes. Uh, no, I wish, mate. No, there's bigger names than that. Um, and I, I guess it was kind of like just seeing all these, you know, cross sports come, you know, come across and, and, and do their thing. And that was um, the, the early stage of the Red Bull tournament. And obviously with COVID and everything else that's happened, um, now they're mixing up, I guess, sort of that next tier with our current crop of our, you know, both black, uh, black friends, sevens and, and, and the men. So that was really cool this year to see, you know, the contracted players in the mix with their next sort of up and coming, you know, superstar. So that was really cool. And I, I think just the tournament itself, you know, it, it is really taken off and uh, it's drawing a lot of, a lot of athletes as well as a lot of 15s players that want to potentially have a chance at cracking the sevens. And then we're still getting, you know, athletes from other codes, um, you know, jumping across, but it's really taken off because it'll, in my opinion, it was kind of like an online search um, for people, you know, to, to register and then to jump into this tournament where it was about all the young talent coming through. Um, but I think this year was a, a nice uh, a nice touch having the contracted players in there. So a lot of these young, you know, um, rising stars were playing against some of their, their own heroes. So that was cool to see. I think even for the guys who don't make it, like how awesome to have had that experience of playing with the with the pro guys and kind of being on that stage, even if you don't pick up a contract at the end of it. I think we're hoping to see something over this way before too long because I think it's it's exactly what you kind of need to have a visible pathway to to get onto the top level. Yeah, um, with with sevens, it's not something we have at the moment. And also with that Red Bull thing, is looking for the lads who were contracted to get some game time. Like obviously with a big, big year ahead with the Olympics and prep for that, like good to get a run out for the lads, I'd imagine. Yeah. What's it like over there, Deej? Talk to us, go on. Just tell us a little bit what life is like when you're actually allowed to go out and do stuff. Obviously still um, we're a little bit behind the, the way we've managed things over here in our country. But um, I mean, what's rugby like at the moment down there? Is it flourishing as, as much as ever? 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx, jinx it. So touch wood, and you know, we're blessed, you know, on this side of the world to be able to do what we do. And I don't, I don't think there's too many people that really take it for granted now, and just seeing how the rest of the world is going. But um, I think, yeah, you know, both the men and the women are really fortunate. You know, when, when everything kind of happened, um, you know, there was still might attend cup that they were able to play and then those that pushed on obviously had super rugby you know they were they were able to play um and then club rugby was sort of on and off for a little bit you know during you know the the levels and the changes of the the lockdown but i mean ultimately yeah everyone's in a pretty good place um you know we can see the teams online training together and, and everything else but i think there's still obviously um you know everyone knows missing out on that international exposure against, you know, other countries and seeing where everyone else is at, you know, um, I guess it's just going to come down to, you know, the, the countries and the players that are making the most out of, you know, the time, whether it is a lockdown or not, um, you know, who knows, you know, the, the good or the bad that it, that it might bring, but um, it's definitely going to hopefully, you know, um, set things up for some pretty exciting times and, you know, touch wood, um, you know, hopefully the Olympics will be a, a stage that you know um uh, the sevens teams can do that i want to just dive into a bit of your your more of your personal career Deej, like some of your highlights what stands out for you as some of the best moments of your playing days oh i mean you know like that first kind of opportunity to go to the commonwealth games um in delhi so that was yeah that was a um, one of the probably the first kind of memories of that kind of sense of achievement. Uh, I remember standing on that podium and it was kind of like a relief rather than satisfaction. I was like, okay, sweet, because you know the team had never had never lost it um, up and you know to that point. Um, and then probably the one after that was you know unfortunately um, the Haka <laughs> in uh, Hong Kong after the final against the Lads. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because you're interviewing <laughs> that. And I, I guess yeah, that, I mean that's you know. They went viral that hacker and there's bloody um, photos, you know, around the world, um, pretty iconic photos of that hacker in the rain, black rain. Um, you know, that was so that was a pretty special memory. Then, yeah, flip the World Cup, but then that's you guys again, isn't it? So <laughs> I have to change, change something else. I, I think just getting to the, get, you know, getting to the Olympics. Um, obviously, we blew out, so we'll give you credit there. Um, but you know, I think just you know when I decided to. Um, step down from the captaincy and just focus on on you know on getting to the Olympics and yeah you know, I wanted to do things a little bit differently make sure that I was there on my, on merit uh, nothing to do with you know just having the you know, the badge beside my name so that was a pretty special occasion um, obviously yeah campaign didn't go as we we wanted it to go but just to be in a part of that environment to say that I you know am an Olympian was pretty cool. Can we just talk about that? Um, moment for a bit like that year where you decided you're going to step down from the captaincy and uh, you said there that you wanted to do that so that get selection based on your playing merit and nothing else how did that conversation go with Titch did you just say this is what I want to do you know there must have been players or maybe Titch who were kind of uh, maybe didn't think it was a good idea because obviously it was a formula that had been working what was it like that process to get to that point I think like anything, you know, you sort of get to a, a point as well in your career where, um, you know, you sort of want to not, not challenge yourself, but just make sure that you're, you know, um, you know, just innovating and, 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 you know, trying to stay ahead of the game, so to speak. So, um, you know, for me, it was about, I had probably a couple of injuries that were sort of playing on me. 
Um, and again, you know, there was always going to be, you know, the question of my age and everything else. So I think, you know, for me, I just wanted to have the ability to sort of put some things aside. Um, so, you know, I could just focus on, on you know, first things first, and, and that was getting to the Olympics. Um, and then, you know, off the back of that, it would be, you know, once I was there to perform and, you know, to do the best that I could do. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where I think it was um, a hard decision, but a decision that was probably going to come eventually. You know, um, never going to play forever. You can't be captain for forever. So I think it was just an opportunity to still be in the environment, help share some knowledge to the next captain, which at the time was um, Scott Coe. Um, so, you know, just sort of going alongside him and, and giving him his opportunity. He'd been in team for a while now to sort of, you know, grow his um, his his rep and, and his ability with the team. And then, yeah, um, when the time was right to, to step up. Just going to say, it's a very like humbling thing to do, um, and I was just trying to think about it like in terms of like Mitch. You'd say Mitch was to hand it over to one of our our young lads because obviously it's because it was wasn't like he wasn't like as, as he is now like in that setup. He's a, like a very experienced player. He wasn't wasn't as experienced. Like, how did that relationship go? Did he like room with him, or did he go for coffees and try and like build it? And te- did you tell him to, how to do it, or was it kind of just like leave him to go and then pick him up if he makes mistakes? Yeah, I think, you know, we we were lucky we had sort of that leadership group going. So there was sort of, we had our tiers of, you have that, that leadership group and you have that sort of second tier of leaders, you know, that we're bringing through. So he was part of that leadership group. So, he you know, he was, um, you know, confident in his own ability and he was performing. Um, and it was just, you know, obviously just seeing um, the opportunity for him to grow into that role. Um, so I, I guess let him go as much as I could. And then obviously in those like team huddles and things, you know, I'll chip in, you know, um, where and when was appropriate, um, but really was just trying to, you know, be there to support him. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing is when he was at those early stages of, of being captain, um, he got injured quite a bit. So then obviously I'm f- filling back in, um, you know, and that was probably the only thing that probably took away, you know, that whole kind of um, uh, initiation for him, for Scott. And then, you know, I guess by the time that he was sort of um, into the, into his groove, um, new coach, new thing, and then they obviously brought up the, the co-captains. Um, so it's, it's him and, and Tim Mickelson. So, um, but those both of those you know, gentlemen were part of the leadership group. So that, it was just a matter of time before they sort of stepped into that role. I can see, I can see what's happening here, DJ. I don't know if you saw, but Chip was captain at the Bermuda Tens and brought home the chocolates, and he's trying to find the best way to approach Mitch. Uh, for a yeah. difficult conversation here. So, Mitch, you stepping aside I mean, or what? It's, it's disgusting behaviour, in my opinion. But, I mean, at least he's drawing on knowledge from you for it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can Next time Chip asks me to go for a coffee, I'm going to be very wary. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, DJ, like, you you won an insane amount of tournaments uh, on the series. And I said in the intro that uh, the number of series that you guys won. So, you know what goes right and knows what know what goes wrong. Like, and sometimes tournaments just don't go to plan, but can you put your finger on what quite didn't click at the Olympics for you guys? Uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm being, being frank, we had, you know, obviously a few things um, that were going on. I mean, you guys would have read a, a fair bit of it, I'm sure, you know, through the media where um, there was a little bit of confusion or miscommunication around players' eligibility, whether they were available, whether they wanted to play, whether they didn't want to play for us and whatnot. Um, there was a talks about, you know, the 15s or the All Blacks superstars coming into the Siemens environment and 
how we kind of breed them in and all that kind of jazz. And then I, I guess, you know, for me, um, it was the, the chemistry probably, probably wasn't there. And we spoke about culture at the beginning. I think we'll just, it was, um, yeah, um, probably it wasn't uh, as humming as I would have liked it have, to have been, you know, from the get-go. Um, and then I'm saying that, you know, and I'm not making excuses by, by any means, but we lost, you know, three of our front line, like in the first game, really. And then so, you know, we were battling from the start and, yeah, just things probably, you know, and, and again, in that environment, you need to be on the same page and things need to be humming, you know, from the start. So we managed to, you know, pull it back in, you know, that quarterfinal where we probably played our, our best footy against Fiji and, and lost in the dying kind of seconds. Um, so we still had an opportunity to, to go out and, you know, be contenders for a, for a medal. But, um, yeah, it wasn't to be. So, um, yeah, for me personally, it was, you know, I don't think, well, yeah, I know the chemistry wasn't there. There was just too many sort of, um, yeah, too many breakdowns along the way about, you know, and it just wasn't a, wasn't a smooth ride to that, um, to that campaign. I think it's really interesting hearing that. Like, and I think anyone who's been in a team understands that kind of intangible thing. It's hard to put a finger on exactly what it is, but when it's not right, it's very difficult to, to be successful and to win tournaments. But it's also very difficult to win tournaments when you lose three players in the first round of games. I think we've all been there. It feels like you're in the trenches when there's like nine players left in your squad and you're just having to do your best to try and rotate guys in the game time and it's a nightmare. So it's a long road when you lose that, those players early. Um, and I remember thinking at the time when you guys had some injuries, I was thinking, because you guys were undoubtedly one of the favourites going into it um, because of the lineup. And But I remember thinking at the time, well, it's going to be tough for those boys now. Yeah, and that was some... Um some big names too. I mean, it was obviously Scott, our captain, um, Sonny Bill and, and Joe Weber. Um, and so, yeah, it was, yeah. And, but we've won tournaments before with less players. So it's like, again, I'm not making excuses. It was like, but, uh, you know, what a place to do it. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, we found out, you know, the hard way. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a pretty, uh, obviously disappointing um, because, you know, being that first kind of opportunity for sevens, you know, in that, you know, in that scene. Um, so, yeah, it was always one of those things. And, yeah, every now and then when I, yeah, if I'm in Fiji or, you know, I get all these little memories, all these flashbacks, I'm like, oh, man, flip, but, you know. But that's that's what, yeah, that's sport. So, uh, yeah, we, we move on and, and, and try to do something else. Does that add fuel to the fire for your new role now? So working with the stuff you do with the New Zealand Olympic Committee, um, Obviously, you've seemed to have done very well moving on from the game, which is probably not an easy or not as easy as it looks from the from the outside. Um, but is it good to still be in the sport and not yep. to have stepped away completely? No, hundred percent. I'm I'm blessed to to have gone from NZR to NZOC, um, and it's a it's still a learning role. Like it's a new role, so obviously learning as we go. But like you said, you know, to be able to still be involved in sport. Um, across all sports now has really opened my eyes, you know, coming from a pretty privileged background of rugby and then, you know, going and, and, and seeing, you know, our, our spending time with our weightlifters or, um, you know, trampoline, all these other sports that are probably you know, oblivious to, to be honest. Um, so it's been really cool in that space and advocating for athlete voice. You know, um, my my role is athlete engagement manager. So, you know, anything and everything that we can do for our athletes, um, 
at the Olympics, you know, Commonwealth Games, Pacific Games, Winter Games, all those kind of things is pretty much, you know, what I'm um, trying to do my best on. And, and like you said, yeah, it's, it's been hard. It still is hard. Um, I'm actually into, into CrossFit now. So the CrossFit buzz gives me um, like one hour where I feel normal because I'm still wired like an athlete. Um, and then I go to work in front of a, you know, a computer like this and I'm like, oh man, this is, you know, all these things are going everywhere. And um, it's quite cool to have a, have a sport where I can, yeah, feel normal again, tick the box like we do at training or at a game, um, feel good about myself and then come to work and then battle away <laughs> behind a computer screen. DJ, on that Olympic kind of front, if you had to pick one other sport that you could compete in now, if your body was fine and you were like fit and you were good enough to get picked, what what sport would you go for? Oh man, oh, oh, there's so many sports. Cool sport. I was, I was at trampoline the other day flip scene and bounce around on trampoline it was pretty cool but I guess because I've been I'd like to see that actually did if you could <laughs> next time you go visit the trampoline people if you could do a vi- Please little video, video put it on in Instagram tuggers, it? Yeah. I'll, I'll try that um, nah, so I think the fact that I've you know over the last maybe nine months I've been into CrossFit um, I'd probably I'd be keen to try weightlifting eh? so I reckon I could get my weight down so I could hopefully compete with the smaller guys but then flipping some of the weight that these guys are chucking around is unbelievable eh? but um, it's been cool to learn like obviously you guys will do the same you know we do power cleans and all that kind of stuff in rugby but I'm pretty sure majority of us would have been taught a certain way I'm going across right now and, and learning like bloody snatches and all this kind of stuff is unreal because I, I feel like a little kid again trying to learn learn stuff and, and sucking at it um, but it's cool it just keeps my mind you know chasing something so it's, it's been a good uh, good learning curve <laughs> I just had a funny memory I'm just going to share uh, Deej I know you're running out of time but I was just thinking of like all the amazing kind of on-field moments you've you've mentioned a few of them where you obviously you you guys came out on top which happened more often than not given the uh, the record that we've already talked about but I was thinking about some off-field moments as well and we don't have to put this in if you don't want to, Dij, but there was a great memory from where we shared a few beers once. I think it might have been in uh, in Tokyo. I don't know. And uh, we were just having a few drinks and then obviously everyone spills out of the bar at the same time. And it ended up with, I don't know how, but Phil Burgess ended up in a recycling bin and I'm pretty sure you put him in there. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> no, no that, no, that can't be right. I don't remember that. I probably would have been the guy that was probably trying to help him out. I do remember <laughs> yeah. um, a tournament somewhere with a few a few uh, palms in the uh, in the toilet upside down, and I don't know uh, who was involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, someone getting dunked, I think. That's um, yeah. But uh, those were some good times. I remember, you know, as uh, as tough as it was on the field, it was always good. So you know, and I know um, we probably laugh about it now, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the teams sort of thought differently of each other being either arrogant or stuck up or quiet, but it was always good to be able to have a beer after, you know, um, a tournament um, with you guys and with all the other teams because, um, yeah, there was probably a lot of water under the bridge that, you know, guys kind of assumed um, certain personalities or personas that weren't true. Um, you know, I'd like to think that you guys could approach me at any time to have a, have a beer or have a chat. <laughs> but I know on the field, you, you, it sounded like the England team were like this, the English team were like this, the South African team were like that. I was like... <laughs> I'm pretty sure at the end of the day we all just wanted to hang out but we're too proud to bloody go and say hi it's so true isn't it there's like you build up those images of the other teams and then you actually get chatting you're like oh turns out they're not like that at all <laughs> I remember when Wizzy I remember when Wizzy came over and we actually like got a good behind the scenes insight and uh we were like, I remember when I first started, I think you guys probably got a lot of heat being the New Zealand team because you were winning everything so obviously people are going to target you a little bit and like you know 
maybe bad mouth you behind your back a little bit. Um, and I remember just that the kind of moment of realization when Wizza was basically telling us how good of blokes everyone was. And we're like, oh, really? We thought this, we thought that. Yeah, yeah. It just turns out it's all a load of crap. And I think the sooner we learn that in rugby, it's probably the better. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, Deej, just before you jump off, um, I put you on the spot a little bit, but like you don't have to give us all your team now um, and you can fire me a message after. Who's the best, if you had to put together, in fact, probably just fire a message after, who's like the best sevens team you played against, like combination, so like prop, pucker, prop, uh, and then the backs, like of players you played against. Because if we, if I said best team of all time, you'd just come up with seven all blacks and we, we don't need that. <laughs> all right, cool. So just strictly no, um, no Kiwis on there, just... Everyone else. We can have one. We'll, we'll, we'll give you one. We'll go. You, you can put yourself in, Deej, if that's what you're asking. Just just a, a last question, not kind of like to sum it up. Um, like the relationship between the men and the women in New Zealand are the sevens teams. They seem to proper like support each other. And with our women, just before the, our program got cancelled as an England team, coming to the um, coming to Lensbury to train at the same place as us, and we were kind of building those bonds and the, the support was coming in for each other. Is there like is it what's the support like and what's the relationship like between those two teams like in New Zealand because whenever they win they always look like they're genuine friends and like support each other so what yeah what, what's the kind of what's the background info on that yeah I mean I think they're fortunate because they're all based up in Tauranga you know, Mount Manganui in, in New Zealand so if they if they don't you know train together and, and well they obviously train together in the same um uh, SNC centre, um, but they also live in a you know pretty small proximity, you know where they are, you know currently. So they spend a lot of time together. If it's not you know in the gym, then it'll be on the fields, that are side by side. Um, obviously, there'll be you know times when they they might run skill sessions together. Um, I know through um, I think the second lockdown that we had, um, you know, it was a, a bunch of management together from both the men and women's, and then the skills were run you know together as well. Um, and they are yeah, they're, they're genuine friends. A lot of them, you know, hang out together. And obviously, the the ones that are um, younger and, and probably single, obviously, spend a bit more time together. You know, cracking jokes and, and spending time and, and things like that. So yeah, they've got a good uh, they've got a good thing going. And I think just really just being based and centralised uh, makes it quite easy. So if they're not training together, they'll probably bump into each other at a cafe or you know in the street and things like that. So um, you know that bond is is good. And yeah, they do they, they support each other. Um, and a lot of the things that they have going on in terms of culture and, um, you know, singing and, and things like that, you know, um, are quite similar. On that singing point, final question. Um, your f- favourite band out of Shapeshifter, 660 or Crowded House? Oh, uh, yeah, I'd have to go 660. Um, but my, Crowded my, House, there Crowded House have some bangers. Yeah, absolutely bangers. Mate, DJ, absolutely top speaking to you. Thanks so much for giving up uh, part of your morning. I'm glad you're still going well and the beard's going strong. Uh, hopefully I can catch you on one of them 5K times soon as well. Yeah, sweet. Sounds good. DJ, hopefully see you guys on the field soon, eh? So um, all the best on the, your side of the world and um, you know, hopefully everything's uh, going to work out pretty good, hopefully sometime soon. One night in heaven, one night in heaven. What a top geezer. What an absolute legend. Mate. He's such a good yeah. guy. What yeah, a good, good guy. He, um, he's such a good bloke. He's, um, it, I, I do, you know, we were talking about how we used to kind of have this perception of other teams. I'm sure it happens 15s. 
probably happens less in sevens actually because I think we're especially nowadays quite matey but when I first started and I was a bit young and immature probably mentioned before you're you, you pick up vibes from other teams and maybe you're thinking about performance edge. New Zealand always seem to be a bit like uh, keep themselves to themselves. It's quite hard to approach them. But then obviously it's hard to approach DJ because he's this like scary looking dude who's won a load of stuff and is amazing at sevens um, and beat the shit out of you on the field as well. Like such a ruthless guy around yeah. breakdown, contact area. Um, but you kind of feel like now that I've been chatting to him, mostly since he's retired or at least is like, last year or two of playing. I feel like it's been kind of wasted time. You kind of wish you'd got to know each other properly when I first started playing, but not that he would have been interested in a jumped up little what's it like me, but. I, um, yeah, what a, what a good guy. I tell you what made me smile the most, well, not the most, but like quite a bit in that interview when he was like, um, sevens just makes you the most rounded, the best footy player, he called it, best rugby player. Um, and all times it gets you good at, and the first thing he mentioned is clearing rooks. And I was like, yep. That is <laughs> yeah, that is exactly right, and that is what you're great. What you were great at. What I'll always remember being hit by him in a rook. Like obviously didn't shift me, but like, he's a he's a good old strong old bull. That big boy, mate. He, he used to win so many games for New Zealand or help them win games by his his defensive effort, his ability to be at the ruck at the right time, just like stealing ball, making a nuisance of himself, and, and actually that kind of theme. Like New Zealand have carried on. They're, they're ruck destroyers. They do a good job of disrupting other ball. Do you know what he didn't mention as one of the great skills that's developed in sevens is the handoff, <laughs> which yeah, is baffling. We didn't, we didn't, is, we forgot. That's what made him go viral. <laughs> yeah. We should, we should have pushed him on that, but that was class. I mentioned about the insane number of tournaments that he won. I'm going to pull up the stats now. He won 26 tournaments. So 26 tournaments from 89 attempts. He won the World Series six times, as I mentioned. Like, That's mad. Imagine winning 29.6% of your tournaments. Clean off. Imagine being that good at maths, Chip. (laughs) It's my cross cross to bear. (laughs) I've um, I've got a particular fondness for DJ as well because... Well, inherited from my family, who are real big fans of him, like bigger fans than any of the England players, I think. Sorry, Chip. Um, That's okay. Especially my cousin, actually. DJ did a little uh, birthday video shout out for my cousin last year <laughs> for her 30th birthday, <laughs> which is very sweet. So thanks for that, Deej. He's a good man. Good man, a hell of a representative now for the New Zealand Olympic Association. Can't think of many better guys to have flying the silver fern flag in an Olympic manner than DJ Forbes. And uh, they've, uh, they've really got COVID right over there, haven't they? That was frustrating, wasn't it? When we asked him about the rugby, he said, oh yeah, yeah, we've, we've just kept playing. Yeah. Also, it made me think, because I saw on Instagram the other day that the All Black Sevens part was, they're back in camp now as a whole squad. And it's the first time they've been back all in together and uh and it just it was them you know introductory week bit of testing but a lot of team building stuff them playing volleyball on the beach going surfing having a few drinks having a chat around like with a bit you know with the guitar and having a laugh in the sunshine and uh you know we're all in our own situation but i did look at that and i was a bit jealous and i won't it- i won't uh shy away from that it just shows the difference in culture that we're all gathered around the phone listening to MC Devo with a can of special brew on the cold beach and they're surfing, fishing, 
volleyball. Yeah, sad times. We'll get there, lads. We'll get there, lads. Bring on the vaccine. Boys, first pod of 2021, and I'm going to call that a slam dunk. we got Bert's in the mix and DJ Forbes, hell of a guest to kick things off. Once again, Chippy, the postman delivers. It's been a pleasure to be back in the clouds with you, lads. Outstanding, yeah. Love being back. Good to chat to you, boys. Hopefully one day post-COVID we can all see each other. Um, miss you, boys, but yeah, great to, great to chat and enjoyed the pod. Love it. Just topping up the sevens juices so that our cups are full and topping up the cups of the listeners as well. Uh, that is the first pod of 2021. We're going to be back next week. It's going to be Aussie-themed for the Sydney sevens, but... Until then, from all of us up in the clouds, up in seventh heaven, it is adios. See you then. Bye.